0: So, welcome back to the Banowitz Marketing Podcast. Today, I have a special guest on, Leanne Eddins.
1: How are you, Leanne? Hi, I'm I'm doing very well. Thank you.
0: Good, good. The Banowitz Podcast. So, introduce introduce yourselves to us.
1: Well, my name's Leanne Eddins, and I am the owner of la Edens design and i help marketing departments take their strategy and their visual communications to the next level whether you're just getting started or whether you've been doing it for yourself for a while i can help you uh with overflow or when uh anytime uh, capacity uh exceeds demand
0: Awesome. Awesome. So what's your history a little bit here? What is your background?
1: I have been a graphic designer for uh, more decades than I want to admit. I studied it in school and uh, got my first job right out of school and down in Houston, Texas, where I worked at an ad agency and uh, worked at various agencies down there for about nine years before I met, met and married a cowboy and moved to Iowa because that cowboy happened to be from Iowa, so that's what landed me here, and I've been here ever since, working in marketing departments in house and out of house, design agencies, and excuse me, ad ad uh, advertising agencies as well. So I've had a broad and varied uh, background. My last career was 15 years at the University of Iowa as um, art director of the UI Healthcare Enterprise. So. That was very a, nice, yeah, that was that was a pretty big job that it was it was a lot of fun for a lot of years. But then three years ago, I decided to come out on my own and help people who were in the situation I was in at the university with lots of demands on time and creativity and effort and not always the resources to get it done.
0: So what are your strengths as a graphic? I'm just going to jump right in. What are your strengths as a graphic artist? Because I know, but I want to hear you say it too. So. well, <laughs>
1: A lot of it is that I I see the big picture in the graphic design world. That's one strength. Another strength is that I've done so much uh, over the course of my history. So that means, one, I'm not ready to prove myself. I've done that pretty well. And two, I don't have an agenda. I'm not trying to find my voice or to make uh, my own um artistic impression for anybody. I'm here to help. I mean, I don't have a lot of things that I want to do still, except to live a good life, to help as many people as I can and employ my craft.
0: And you are very strong with branding.
1: Very strong. I was the logo cop at the University of Iowa. (laughs) What does that mean? Okay. So explain (laughs) this to us. Well, (laughs) I, I, I knew about brand standards from the very beginning of my career because uh, one of the big companies I worked for was Shell Chemical Company. And um, I worked for the agency that had the Shell Chemical account. And so we had a prescriptive brand standards, hundreds of pages that we had to comply with. And so in the course of my career, I would always ask, "Where's the brand standards?" Because I That's super important <laughs> that seemed to be important to me. It was a rule book, and so I was very um, uh, cognizant that you needed to uh, adhere to these standards. And there were many people when uh, my last job in Houston was at Quick Copy Corporation, which is a printing franchise. Okay, and I was the only one at that time who had ever even seen a branding standards manual and so I got to author and create one for them okay their very first one it went from everything with uniforms and um, like the franchise environment what the branded branded environment looked like all the way to the logos and wraps and packaging and the things that a print company would use you know to house their product and so you know that was a a big part of it the one um then when i got to the university uh first thing i did was reach for that brand standards manual and read it on the very first which is exactly
0: what you why you need it is so that all these employees and all these hands in the pot are creating the same standardized content
1: exactly and a
0: standardized voice so that you don't confuse the customer well
1: when I say, and we can talk about this another time, that branding is boring, uh, it should be for the in-house marketer because they're seeing it over and over and over yeah. again, where your customer may see it twice yeah. for every time you see it. One, or yeah. every time you see it a hundred times, they might see it twice. Yeah. So it's people get sick of it the creative individual gets sick of using the same colors the same style the same (laughs) same typeface right and uh you know if they don't like those particular colors they need to find their happiness elsewhere because (laughs) that is how it's how
0: companies grow, it's
1: how companies grow, it's how
0: companies build trust with their target audience.
1: And it's how you keep from being confused for the competitor in an ever increasingly demanding environment. There are so many messages hitting us every day yeah. that to have a strong brand presence is extremely important. Yes, I want to say amen, but I don't amen. know if that's right. <laughs> Amen's fine with me. Yeah, preach it, sister. That's we can just keep going with it. <laughs> okay, so our topic
0: today is design thinking, and this is going to be a two-part video because because we have a lot of content a that lot of you want to cover. Yes. So part A on design thinking. I'm excited to hear this, Leo. <laughs> okay,
1: well, design thinking seems to have gotten a lot of buzz recently. Uh, you hear about Tim Brown going about how wonderfully design thinking can help in the corporate boardroom. And it's new in the corporate boardroom because they're used to being analytical thinkers where they narrow the cho- choices until you come down and, and review your information until you come down to like one good option. Okay. But analytical thinking, while necessary, design thinking can complement analytical thinking in the, the decision maker's toolbox by bringing a different kind of context to problem solving, one that is not linear and one that is very, very human-centered. In fact, design thinking, it, it is in no way a new thing. Uh, we might be hearing about it new to some levels of industry, but designers, engineers, architects, um, interior designers, they've been using design thinking for a long time. Okay. So design thinking is not a new thing. It it, it actually was coined in the 1960s by Herbert A. Simon, who was an economist economist and a later a Nobel Prize winner for his work in economics. But he was looking at how organizations make decisions. Okay. And so uh, his work actually is the foundation for what they use for AI now, artificial intelligence. Really? Okay. Right. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So in the late 60s is when he came down with a three-step, kind of a three-step process. And then other thinkers and problem solvers, forward-thinking people throughout academic academics had uh, uh amplified and modified some of his findings and added to it and it actually became the foundation for my education okay yeah and so we were to be creative problem solvers who could enter any field any any uh, industry any business and address, the problems that are at hand, and to add value by being novel thinkers and having an innovative approach to the uh, circumstances that business finds itself in, no matter what that may be. Design thinking is very critical with uh, sticky problems, problems that are ill-defined or that elude the analytical problem solving Mm -hmm. that... Maybe they don't even know exactly what the problem is. Design thinking can help corral the information and approach it from different ways to help unravel these types of problems.
0: Can you give an example of of a like this? sticky problem and then how this would yeah, well, for a business let's say for a business owner around here in the
1: well, maybe they see that sales are falling off, okay, okay? so. If they say sales are falling off, so we need to get the sales force out and we need to try new, uh, or we need to try to do more, Mm -hmm. more of what we've always done. Anytime we're in a situation where doing more of how we've always done it, fails to produce the desired results, Mm -hmm. that's a situation where design thinking can reorient, it can reorient you to what really is the problem. Perhaps it's not a sales problem. Perhaps it's a competitive problem. Perhaps it's, or perhaps it's a, a shift within the consumer mindset. Um, so there's, there's any number of things that you can apply design thinking to. And I don't know if that's a no, great it does. example. It reminded, you know,
0: it makes me think of the book, Who Moved My Cheese? Have, oh, exactly. Right? Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah.
1: You're design using thinkers design are the scurriers. T- yes, right. <laughs> They're the ones who are like sniffing around, you know, or, or whichever, sniff and scurry or sniff and yes. settle. I don't remember. One, <laughs> one stayed put and one kept going. Yes. The one who keeps going to try to find different avenues, that is design thinking. Very much like Who Moved My Cheese. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad the analogy was there. The <laughs> i curlation. read Correlation, yeah. <laughs> and then I read the book.
0: Yeah, yes. Sure. Perfect. <laughs> Okay, so Leanne, Herbert came up with three steps. You're using six, right? I'm using using... six,
1: which are basically subdivisions of his initial three. One was about fact-finding and information gathering. The other is to ideate and prototype, and then finally to test. Okay. Those were the three uh, groupings that he made. Now people use up to eight and 12 steps, but for, for my purposes, I keep it at six with kind of two in each category. Perfect. Okay. So we start with empathy. Okay. Um, designers have been using empathy for a long time. Empathy is about understanding, really, really understanding your audience and what they want. It's a, it's about getting into their head and leaving, you know, your agenda at the door it's not about what I want. Mm-hmm. When I'm designing for people, it is not at all about what I like to do and what I want and to now, do. And now is
0: it even not about what the company likes and what they necessarily want? Isn't it about the, wouldn't the focus be on the customer then?
1: It's always on the customer. Okay. <laughs> but it's a human-centered approach. Okay. Okay. So as a graphic designer employing design thinking on behalf of my client, I have to think about their particular circumstance and their personalities and that kind of stuff. It's kind of that evolution of design thinking when I can bring my client along to to abandon their uh aesthetic sense or their their proclivities in order to reach their client then i've really when if we can get to that point that is like the sweetest time when i feel like i'm really giving some value to my client because they might have been doing things that they like Mm -hmm. and missing the mark on their customer but if they can get out of their Comfort zone, yes. perhaps, yeah. and into the mind of their customer, they're going to get much better yeah. results. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> but that you never know. I always ask who the stakeholder is because they're the ones who are going to say yes or no. Ultimately, well, and
0: today in our in the Bannowitz marketing um, team meeting today, we were talking about just building trust with the clients and how important that is. F- right. Because you, they need to trust you so that when you make suggestions like this, then then they can listen. And,
1: exactly. Yeah. And give it a, at least give it a try. Yeah. The one thing that we don't do is abandon. um research and documentation. I mean, we want to have that feedback and that comes later in the process. So when we start with empathy, we're trying to find out everything we can about the customer. Um, The typical uh, building of a persona Mm -hmm. that many marketing firms and especially uh, web design firms are using these days comes right out of empathy it's about knowing who your client is, what motivates them, how they live, everything that you can gain about your uh, client will help you speak to them. Yeah, in their voice and yeah. in a way that that resonates with I like who to they call are. it an
0: avatar. Like I would like it when bit, uh, more than like it. I want my the companies that work with me to have an avatar in mind of who their target right. person is, and not say you know twenty four to seventy five years old, male and female, but like get it like really niche it down to your avatar and have that even name that that avatar, name them,
1: yeah. give them give them a dog or a cat. Yes. I mean, it's all <laughs> the way down to where they live and what they yes. drive. Uh, yeah. It's just trying to personalize the this nameless, faceless. Demographic information. And
0: if you change, if you're always shifting, then the customer gets confused, too. Whereas if you're constantly talking to that person. Right.
1: You're having a more personal uh, connection with your customer. Authentic. And authentic. Absolutely. So empathy is finding out who your customer is. And it could be several. It can yes. be several. You can have several avatars yep. or several personas yes. that you're trying to talk to, but you may speak a little differently yep. to each one of them. And with the multi-channel marketing that we have today, yeah. you can actually do that. And
0: it, in fact, it's key now and it's going to get even more multi I mean, it more. is. Yeah. The way that. the OK, so the way that Facebook ads are going is that instead of just speaking to one, you could be speaking to the husband. Serving up an ad to the husband and serving up an ad to the wife for the same restaurant, but you're providing different. You're speaking to to each one individually.
1: Exactly, because I'm going to be for the fish, and my husband's going for the steak. But it's the same restaurant. But it's the same restaurant. <laughs> different, right? creative,
0: different, <clears throat> different creative, different different creative, different tags, but same same end goal. <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. So that empathy is critically important and we keep that in mind all the way through. Okay. The next step that I like to talk about is is the definition stage. And while we're empathizing, we are starting to form a definition both of what the customer needs and our perceived problem. Okay. Remember, we talked about sticky problems before. I like the term sticky problems that you use, Leanne. Good, because <laughs> you know what? Problems these days are getting stickier all the time. Yeah. That's why design thinking is so important and for people to learn and to, to use in their toolbox, to give it a try. And so... The definition stage comes with defining your problem, redefining your problem in terms of what you found out through the em- empathy, through the th- research and getting to know your, your client. And, you know, empathy is often mistaken for sympathy. Okay. It's not the same thing. And it may be just a syntactical thing that I am that I, splitting hairs here, but it's not feeling the same way as the customer. I do not feel the same way of every one of my clients. Yes, but I empathize with their feelings and how it impacts their decisions, and how, and so I am able to uh, anticipate what they what may come next. When I'm working with that client in the same way, if those clients understood those things about their customers, they would be more able to anticipate they don't have to feel you can't ask a 35 year old corporate executive uh, male to absolutely identify with a postmenopausal, you know, (laughs) 50-ish something, pushing 60 maybe, woman. Mm-hmm. You just can't expect them to have sympathy. Yes, that makes sense. But they can but they empathize. Can, yes, they can have empathy for them. They can understand what is going on with them okay. and that it impacts their life in a real way. And that, yeah, so they can, so that's the difference. Sympathy is what you have perhaps when you're grieving. Mm-hmm. You can have yeah. sympathy because we've all had grief empathy is understanding how that emotion affects or how those circumstances affect an individual who's very, very different from you. No,
0: it makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. People get those a little confused and I like to make that distinction, but I'm not always sure. Sometimes it goes over people's (laughs) heads. So once we define our Problem, and we define who our audience is and who we're talking. We also want to define the message. Okay. Or we want to start defining the message at that point. And then we move into the next phase which would be the ideation phase. Okay. Now, people like this phase and are probably the most familiar with, this is the brainstorm, the problem-solving, the creative And my exercise. guess is you don't want them to
0: jump right to the third stage. You want them to, to go through the one and two, even though.
1: Exactly. <laughs> most people, want to skip all the the empathy and the research because that really is hard and time consuming yeah and they want to get right to jump into these creative problem solving using these i read it in a book and let's try this around the conference table or whatever we do and people might have fun and then corporate corporate looks at that and say what a waste of time they had fun it was good team building but it didn't well and without the anything.
0: foundation too the problem is you're going to jump from one idea to the next idea to the next idea without having a firm foundation
1: without having a firm foundation as to what you're doing you yeah. can get really off the charts however that's okay for to getting off the charts in the ideation stage what happens is this is the free-for-all creative thinking for, uh um the uh you know where where you're connecting dots and free association. It's all that kind of mental stuff just coming out. And if you can't take the results of that and then screen it and analyze it from the things that you learned in this information gathering stage so that you can eliminate the ideas that really don't make any sense and hone in on the ideas that are actually novel mm-hmm. and could produce fruit and could be that innovative thought that you were after. Yes. And so oftentimes, especially for the graphic designer, the ideation and the prototype stage happens kind of at the same time, and, and uh, we're working independently. People don't understand that you can brainstorm all by yourself, but you really can. Mm-hmm. You just have to know how and practice. Uh, I always start with words. Even though I'm a designer, I start with words. Because words have such powerful meaning. And they actually help me start to think in pictures. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And when words and pictures connect... That is powerful. That is crazy powerful. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) And so when you're ideating and prototype, the, the whole thing is to do as many as you can. When you're doing a creative session, to get as many ideas as you can, you often get to this point of absurdity. With ideation, and people think, "Oh, then time to shut it down. We're we're getting ridiculous." No, that's the time to. That's a sweet spot. That's where the sweet really... spot. Add gasoline right then, <laughs> because you're gonna. Because what happens is, is that you get all the regular stuff out, all the first come to mind stuff, the things that up. people
0: feel like they have to say in front
1: of their bosses, and exactly, that you get all that stuff out. Yeah, and you get all those first ideas yes. out. Those. Uh, common yes. ideas yeah. out because what we're driving for here is innovation. Yep. We're not driving for oh yeah, everybody could have thought of that. You know, we're driving for something new and different. And so when you get to the point of absurdity, that means people are tired. That means they're, they've they run out of the bank load of stuff that, they, that they've come with presuppositions. They're out of those. They're yeah. done. They've exhausted all of that kind of criteria and now they're actually doing some new thinking They're and and if you have a group of people who are getting to that point someone will say something completely absurd and someone else will say ah the light will go off yeah it's it's really kind of magic when that does happen but it it actually takes a little effort to get to it Mm -hmm. and creative sessions um are vulnerable places for people especially in a group setting especially in a corporate setting. I can see that cuz
0: people could think that they that they're going to look stupid or come up with a stupid idea
1: exactly and depending on who's the room in the room the dynamics in the room you don't want to look stupid in front of your boss or your manager or anyone who's been critical of you or who may i don't know be doing your review next week
0: so how do you get over that when you're helping lead a company
1: this way um basically you need to have someone not uh, associated with the company really, <laughs> really pushing the staff. To, um, yes. Okay. Who's facilitating okay. this kind of, of thing, unless you're a company that's at, unless you have senior level buy-in for this kind of stuff. Um, it's very hard to do it on your own. You really do need someone to facilitate yeah. this. Oh, kind I can of, totally see that. Yeah. Because if you have a naysayer in the group, They'll kill it. Yeah. they will absolutely kill it. And if no one has the authority to tell that naysayer, be quiet five, time out in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> you time out in the corner, yeah, and yeah. make it stick, yeah, even if it's the CEO, yeah, oh, God. who's gonna do that? Come on, <laughs> no one, no one's gonna do that. So uh, if you have a facilitator who can do it and make it stick, well, because they, hopefully paying them decently. Then well, yeah, because that's it. their job. It's their to, like, job. Push is to people make out of their comfort zone. <laughs> right, and to, you know, put the CEO in a corner if yeah. they're naysaying yeah. right off the bat. Yeah, Because one of the things is, is no judgment. That's uh-huh. one of the rules about creative. Love it. That creative uh, brainstorming is no judgment, none. Yeah. And really... Uh, no filters. (laughs) So it can get pretty crazy sometimes, but that's where people start to get loose. And uh, honestly, when people start laughing, the ideas will start flowing. They'll be loosened up. They'll be ready to, to let it go. And then when it's done, a lot of times people are really pretty tired. You're like exhausted, mentally exhausted when the time is done. But you have to capture all of the ideas that have been floated out. So there's some rules and there's some structure that goes along with this. And then you come back and you go back to your definition. You go back to the empathy and the fact finding and you start to look. Now, which one of these ideas have merit? Several maybe. And then you start prototyping. Prototype hard and fast. And then you start testing. You start testing small, testing with your internal audience, your stakeholders. You start testing with with the team who's been doing the creation. Prototype again. Tweak it again. uh, Enlarge the circle and test some more. Then bring it back in and tweak it until you get to that final. And then when you get to that final deliverable, you test it to the broader audience. But you're still not done. Okay, you've deployed now where those are the last two stages, test and deploy. But now once you deploy, you might bring it back in a week or two and tweak it again and send it out again based on consumer feedback at that point. So there's always a feedback loop. Mm -hmm. And even though I've described this as a linear process, it is anything but a linear process because you're always going to be finding new things. When you get to that test and deploy stage that is going to come back and change your definition. It can change the way you empathize with the clients. You may discover new things about the clients that you didn't know before that then come back into more ideas, more uh, prototypes, and novel deployments. And so it once you get that started, you can just continue. It just keeps keeps moving throughout the process.
0: Now I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here too, because as thinking as a business owner, mm-hmm. um, cause I, I run a marketing company, but also a business owner yeah, coming so. from a family of business owners. Mm-hmm. Um, so my husband is an electrical engineer electrical engineering manager and he had me he introduced this book to me called Managing the Design Factory. I mentioned being devil's advocate here. So one of the things they talk about is how the later you are in the process of modifying designs, the more expensive it is.
1: Mm-hmm. That would be part of that in that close testing that you that I was talking okay. about. When you prototype and ideate and then you look to your peers, if you have it formalized, uh-huh. Especially if you're, your husband was electronics. Well, well, electrical engineer. And and he's probably doing something that we're talking about scaling to you know, thousands of products, hundreds of thousands Mm -hmm. of products, uh, potentially of expensive design and machining, getting ready to, you know, tool up the factory to get these things out. Well, yeah, you, you can't make changes after you've put it out as easily. Um, So the iterative nature of what you're doing, yes, you have to test in the ideation and the prototype stages, you have to test more rigorously. But it's still testing that then expands and expands because even well, and it's
0: probably just like a never it's, a it's never, never ending, ending process that you just have a culture that this is the way that your design process goes
1: we were in is the test the, and deploy and deploy mm-hmm. and deploy. And now, uh, you know with marketing, you can do the a b testing so quickly with the ads uh, on social media yeah. and uh, on the web. That is part of the test and deploy, test and deploy and then reiterate and then go again. But still, even with even with big manufactured products, uh, they will still take uh, consumer information and apply it to the next version, the next rendition. You know, I mean, uh, look at the Camry. Now I, I just saw a new Camry the other day, and I I'm like, okay, time to trade. <laughs> it was slick. It was very sporty looking, and they're already the dependability car. Nice sedan. I want to trade my sedan and all and I but I want all those dependability features and I want all that new chrome that's on there too. Well
0: and you bringing up the car industry that's that's a perfect example too because the Pacifica is a completely different it is a completely different vehicle than when it first came out because my family has a car dealership and um, the Taurus was a budget they're they're targeting the same demographic so like when I was a teenager the Taurus was the big Car for teenagers. And now my age bracket, they've put leather in them. (laughs) We have one. And they like pumped it up. I'm like, this isn't a Taurus because a Taurus is like some cheap, like, car and they like 91. made it all well what they did was they targeted the same demographic that was driving Tauruses back in when they were teenagers mm-hmm. and now they're in their early they're starting to become towards their 40s and they just same name but now for that demographic so they're just constantly changing
1: exactly this is yeah. going to date me a little bit but several years ago there was a Cadillac commercial now Cadillac was always you know like mom's car right or, or grandma's <laughs> car big old yeah. boat yeah, and uh, They had uh, Led Zeppelin and the riff from been a long time since I rock and rolled and they're like screaming down the road in a Cadillac and I'm going, yeah. Yeah, that ca- that's a new body Cadillac. That's sporty. That's not. Yeah. And it, it resonated with me. If I could have afforded one at the time, I would have got it. Yes, absolutely. Because it was sportier. It was uh, and it had all the appointed luxury features that I, uh, you know, a- acquainted with Cadillac. And yeah, it had been a long time since I rock and rolled. And if it brought me back to that, it, you know, that era. Yeah. It kind of just transported me immediately. So. Yeah.
0: Awesome. <laughs> okay so this we should end this podcast what are we talking about next time
1: well we could go further into the ideation okay and with some different kinds of uh waves that you can um bring more creativity and ideas to the problems love you it. face every day
0: love it love it okay so uh for ev- for anyone who wants to find
1: you where do they go i'm at uh, leanne at la Edins dot com. And my website, www.laedins.com. Perfect. Thank Thank you you for coming on. I loved it. Thank you so much.
0: And we will continue this conversation. If you need any marketing direction and implementation, um, feel free to reach out to us at Bannowitz Marketing at www.bannowitzmarketing.com. And we will see you
1: later. Thanks. Bye.